0: Hello, and welcome back to the Thomistic Institute podcast for off-campus conversations. <laughs> I don't know why I find the internet to be a silly place and podcasts to be sillier still. So it's great that we get to follow up with the Thomistic Institute speakers and talk about their lectures, uh, chase down some insights. But yeah, conversing over the internet, I never quite get used to it, but that's besides the point. So for this installment of off-campus conversations, I'm very delighted to be joined by Professor Jane Peters. Thanks for joining
1: hi thank you happy to be here
0: cheers all right that makes it two of us um so you uh may be known to some thomistic institute podcast listeners because you have given lectures for the thomistic institute you have done other things with your life like you have a family which is better than doing anything for the thomistic institute uh, actually we could you know evaluate the hierarchy of goods later but for those who don't know you would you say a word of introduction
1: sure my name is jane uh i teach at the college of mount saint vincent which is a uh, school on the Hudson River in New York City uh, in the Bronx. And um, I did my PhD on Aquinas' reception of Greek sources for the Catena Aurea, which is his four volume commentary on scripture. Um, and then I have, I live in Connecticut and I have two boys. They are four and two. So that's what nice. I do all my time. Yeah.
0: That's awesome. Um, my sister Rebecca has. Uh, four children who are seven, five, three, and one. And sometimes when I talk to her, um, Peter, who is three, wants to get her attention. And typically the way that he does so is by saying this, mom, 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 mom. <laughs> yeah. He's just, he's a tremendous human being. I like, I have such deep affection for him, but small boys, they're wild. They're wild.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They, they need a lot of love and they're wild. <laughs> you know, a lot of, the, a lot of the hugs I get are just basically tackles, you know,
0: headbutts. Yeah. Um, yep. yeah. My sister was recounting to me the other day that, um, the two older kids were at school and then the youngest was asleep. And so Peter was like, mom, can we snuggle? And she was like, yes. We can snuggle. And so they went about, you know, snuggling, but on a narrow couch. And so there was some difficulty finding a spot in which everyone fit. By everyone, I mean both of them. And so Peter suggested, Mom, can you just staple me to you?
1: <laughs> That's awesome.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. So I'm trying to incorporate that in my prayer life. Like, Lord, can you just staple me to you? <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what comes with. it. Bit. Okay, but that is not the theme of this conversation. The theme of this conversation, it's actually pursuant to a lecture that you gave at Brown on AI and speech, uh, so human speech, human concept, human expression, more broadly speaking. Um, so maybe as a way to start, could you like lead us into the conversation? Because you spent some time describing how AI works, and people will listen to the lecture so as to gain details on that. But maybe... Um, yeah, insofar as you can draw the main distinction between how AI works and then how human speech works and how you found that, uh, yeah, to be different.
1: Sure. So this became a question for me and an area of interest for me just because my students were using AI. And uh, it was really annoying. It slows grading down a ton when you have something that you can tell isn't really the student's own work and they've consulted AI for it. And so, and I, I started to kind of think, You know, how can I explain to them that I actually want to hear from them and not ChatGPT or whatever? Um, and I thought, well, maybe, you know, maybe Aquinas has something to say about that. So, um, so I looked at how ChatGPT works. Um, so it's a large language model chatbot. Um, it's been around for a while, um, but just gained a lot of popularity in the last couple of years. And, um, it's GPT stands for Generative Pre-Trained Transformer. Um, so, it's a, a generative kind of artificial intelligence. So, so it uses models or algorithms to produce new output. Um, and it's trained on all this information. So 570 gigabytes of data, it's basically read the whole internet um, and a lot of digitized books as well. And it's digested all that. Um, and uh, then it's been you know programmed to produce output based on that information. Um, and so it's, it's really sophisticated. Um, it's passed the Turing test, which is, um, a test developed by a guy named Alan Turing, um, to like, if, if basically if artificial intelligence can mimic human language well enough, it, it passed this test. Um, so it's, it's very sophisticated, um, very effective. Um, you know, I was blown away by some of the things it can do when I was researching it like, um, you know, it can, you can give it a text message that you don't understand with a typo in it. And it'll come back to you and say, Oh, I think your friend meant to write this word. And what he probably means is this, you know, so it's, uh, it's creepily human, right? Um, In the way it speaks, produces text. Yeah. So then I said, Okay, is it really speaking? So then that's when I looked at what Aquinas said on human speech and he doesn't have a, you know, full blown theory of this, um, of semiotics, but, um, a couple scholars have worked on this. Uh, and so I, I looked at, at their work, Fordham guy named, uh, Klima, I think. Let me check real quick.
0: Yeah. Julia Klima.
1: Yeah. 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 Well, who's given talks for the TI. Um, and then, um, I looked at the Joanine prologue, you know, where we talk about in the beginning was the word and the word was God and the word was with God. I thought, what's Aquinas saying about words there? And I found out that, oh, gosh, it's, they're quite a bit different. The words produced by ChatGPT and the words produced by humans. So that was what the talk was about.
0: Yeah, I think so. In listening to it, one of the kind of insights by which I was struck was um, like the, the kind of human setting of conceptuality and speech formation, and then speech expression. Um, Like it's not just, you know, so humans aren't optimizing or maximizing robots. Our lives are more complicated than that. Not just in the sense of sloppier and inefficient, but in the sense of organic or or organismic. And um, yeah, you just like highlighted some things or some ways in which speech is for, the facilitation of communion or speech is for encounter, um, just kind of by way of passing or by way of light touch and um yeah i guess like the the thoughts that arise in my mind are well this is coming for us uh, not in the menacing or threatening type sense of a post-apocalyptic kind of um futuristic science fictiony how many more adjectives can i add e terror um but but in the sense like okay this is a technology this is an instrument if it is to be used it's to be used well and seemingly it has to be incorporated in a human culture right? Or into a genuinely human practice. Um, so like, yeah, I suppose in your research, maybe, like, what, what, what could you say about the contemplative setting of these new technologies, their use? Um, yeah, like, what, what might be some paths forward or paths through on the basis of, yeah, some of the research that you did?
1: So kind of like, uh, virtuous use of this technology, or use of this technology while maintaining sort of human dignity, um, is that what you're asking?
0: Yeah, I, I guess I, I, I guess I'm like, I don't want to go insane, and um, I think, like many 21st century people, I realize the fragility of my kind of tortured emotions and psyche before the like glut of information and its potential use. And I'm like, wow, yeah. I don't like, I don't want to be a luddite. I do want to be a luddite, but I don't want to admit publicly to being a luddite. Um, yeah. So then, like, how do I? retain hold on my humanity given all of the information that could potentially pass through it and all of the ways in which we could use these new technologies to optimize and maximize like i don't know i just i don't want to tacitly buy into a system wherein my humanity is laid waste as a result like i don't know if i'm if i'm signing up yeah yeah no i
1: was thinking this a little bit as i was as i was researching people are Kind of doomsdayish about the arrival of AI. Like robots are going to take over. It's going to be so crazy and they'll be like flamethrowers and all this stuff. But it's so much more boring than that. Really what it comes down to is a human being being like, I don't want to do this. I'm going to have a robot do it for me and just yielding the will to, you know, to artificial intelligence and having it produce the things and doing all the work. And, um, and that's a, I, I think that is a sacrifice of a really important element of humanity. I did get some good pushback in the Q and A from uh, a doctor, medical doctor, who said, "Look, I use AI to diagnose, and uh, I don't always have the time to you know sit and ruminate over these symptoms." Uh, And so, you know, you can see in some ways how it's uh, how it can be really helpful, how it can speed things up, uh, make things more effective. But um, what I I don't know what I've kind of come to is we have to. Hold on to the um, the kind of we have to hold on to the use of our intellect and will, the exercise of our intellect and will, despite the fact that they may at times just seem so crappy. Um, And I think that's the temptation for my students and for me, you know, is, gosh, ChatGPT could say this so much better. And if I just asked it, it would give it to me, and then maybe I could fix a few words, and and boom, I'd be done. But that's not really. The, the exercise of your intellect and will i mean that's um you know the formation of a concept in the intellect is the intellect in act and that takes a lot of work and you know as aquinas said in the um prologue the joanine prologue you know only the word of god does this perfectly for human beings it requires a bunch of words and we kind of go one way and say one thing and then we go another way and say another thing we talk with our hands you know the the process of forming a concept is kind of fraught. It's, it's, it's difficult. Um, it's a little embarrassing, you know, when we say something wrong. So, um, it's, I guess part of it is humility, right? Part of it is realizing that, um, you know, God has made us to be rational creatures that learn through, um, through cogitation, like through, through thinking and that we don't get it perfectly the first time and that we're not supposed to. Um, so I think that's part of it. Um, and just kind of like forging ahead in spite of that.
0: Okay. So I want to follow up with a couple of things, um, just kind of simple things, uh, like temporality, like discursion, like imperfection. Uh, because I think that yeah, something super important for the twentieth, 21st century is to realize what are the types of problems that we can solve or ameliorate, and what are the types of problems that we need to like endure or suffer? Again, not in this dread, nihilistic sense like, life is visited upon you. No, like, life is for you insofar as it comes forth from a provident God. But still, like, difficulty is part of the story of your maturation and perfection. So maybe, okay, so thinking about, like, speed, temporality, Uh, you know, you notice that with certain technologies, speed actually places serious demands. And the question is whether those demands are in fact good on your human nature. Um, So like the speed at which we can travel now, you arrive at uh, a destination 300, I don't know, say a bigger word, Gregory, uh, 3000 miles away, it takes you five hours in the airplane, but then you're like a little bit bewonked because of whatever we call that your circadian rhythm um so like you did a thing real quickly but it takes your body time to catch up or like email correspondence we used to have to send things by less immediate means, and now we have more immediate means, so there's an expectation of more immediate contact, and if somebody doesn't get back to your email within, you know, if like you're at a big four firm within an hour, or if you're the rest of us within a day, it's like, oh my gosh, maybe they hate me, maybe they're not gonna come to my birthday party, and maybe I have no friends, and whatever, you know, like I, I there's nothing in store for me except emptiness and pain. Um, so, you know, it's like good to have the speed, but also there's a kind of human fallout with the speed, I guess yeah maybe in your academic context your life more broadly or in the research that you've done what are ways in which we can incorporate this new like speed of deliberation or the speed of conceptualization uh so as again to retain a hold on our humanity without it you know like suffering as a result or just kind of like leaving it aside as a result
1: Mhm mhm Um well let's see here's how I would answer that and I don't know if it's exactly what you're asking but what I'm thinking about is specifically my students and the classroom and how they feel pressured to understand things perfectly and say things perfectly right away. And this is especially hard in something like an intro to religious studies class where, or intro to theology class, where a lot of them are really unfamiliar with this kind of conversation. Um, And so there's a fear of just kind of not getting it right. This kind of pressure, get it right, get it right the first time. Right. Or you're or, you you know, you're hopeless Um, or this kind of assumption that, of course, you're going to say this perfectly. And if not, it must mean you're stupid. It's not that you're, you know, working through the the concept and how to say it and how to sort of, um, I don't know, like how to internally own the the information that you're working with. It's just that um, you're dumb. And um, technology, I think, puts pressure on us to have, um, a little bit of what's called a fixed mindset, like, uh, kind of a black and white, like I either can do this or I can't, um, I feel like my answer just kind of sucks though. Father Gregory, I don't know. Um,
0: (laughs) no, no, it it doesn't. And not just by way of cheerleading or encouragement, but in the sense that like, okay, I think this is, I think this is super important. So thinking thought takes time. Thinking thought often goes by way of imperfection. Um, And that's not just in the practical order because we're dealing with contingents and we're dealing with material things. Um, It's also in the speculative order insofar as we as human beings are limited and that the exercise of our intelligence often goes by way of corporeal organs not in that it's you know situated them so as to be wholly encompassed by them but in the sense that you know like if you haven't slept well you're going to be foggy or if there's a serious problem then it's going to be obstructed or hindered but i think that this idea of like you know like thought taking time or thought passing often and by way of imperfection is super important i'm thinking about this too because like okay we're, we're recording a podcast and the podcast listener is probably listening to this at somewhere between 1.5 and 2.0 speed because we just get in the habit of consuming content at a kind of alarming rate, which I is mean, like, that's not, I don't say that yeah. by way of judgment. When I listen to podcasts, I I did them at that speed because I was like, give me the goods, give me the goods. But but the goods come in a package and the package is important. Or like, you know, like in in, in recording a podcast, you have the freedom to take time to answer because the point of a podcast isn't for me to appear competent. That's not the point. The point of a podcast is like, I think about it in terms of conversion by way of conversation. The point is to like kind of introduce people into a conversation and the ultimate goal of that conversation is to know what's true because there's a freedom that comes with knowing what's true. It's not just like, yay, let's say things which get people to click more rapidly and more frequently because that's, that's not, that's not it. That can't be it because if we concede that we're all just material girls in a material world, then it's just bad. It's just bad. Um, So I think like, like, like in a classroom setting, how do you encourage your students or how do you console your students in that regard? Like, how do you encourage them to be on the way, you know, to, to take time to pass by way of imperfection and like introduce them into a conversation, which will ultimately be beatifying.
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think part of it is, um, (laughs) part of it is just like classroom technique, right? So let's ask a question and then let's have everybody write down what they think they would say as an answer and then we'll talk about it but it's very slow right it's it's uh especially when you're talking about theology or god in a required course not everybody's comfortable with that so take it slow and then also you know uh create opportunities for uh for students to articulate things in their language right so uh, a few weeks ago we were going to read some athanasius and uh you know, that's, that's tough to teach. And I'm always kind of intimidated teaching Athanasius, but we had just read the gospel of John. Um, and we had talked about Jesus calling himself the way. And I said, what is this about? How can Jesus call himself the way? Uh, because, I mean, I don't know. I think I would make a pretty good way to the father. I'm nice. You know, what, what does Jesus have that I don't have? Like What, what makes Jesus, um, what, what makes Jesus able to give me access to the, to the father? Uh, in a special way. And I had this one girl um, raise her hand and go, is it because God's his dad? And I was like, yeah, that's exactly it. You know, and that's what Athanasius is going to say too. But, but to have that bridge, you know, God's Jesus is dad. You know, that's real simple language, right? If I tried to do that in a conference paper, people would be like, are you okay? But that was (laughs) perfect for, for where she was, you know, um, and I had, I had another one once that was so beautiful and it was a, I can't remember what we were reading. It might've been the Summa Contra Gentiles. Um, but I, this, this woman said, so is Jesus kind of the scientific version of God? Cause we can like see him. And I was like, yes, you know, and she, so she's getting at this, this beautiful truth, right. That the word becomes manifest in the incarnation to, so that, you know, we have access to the father through God's, you know. Um, through God, the words, you know, acts and deeds and, and, and words. Acta pasa is what I'm thinking of. Um, but she says it like Jesus is a scientific version of God. And, and you got to like kind of work with that, right? That it's imperfect. And for me as a teacher, I find those moments really beautiful. And it's hard when students don't want to, like students are scared that that's not the right answer because it's in their own language, Right but it's, this, it's the same as, you know, when I'm home with my kids and, you know, my son, John, who's almost five is running around the house going, Oh, great heavens. And then my son, George is two and he's running behind him going, Oh, great lemons. And it's absolutely delightful. <laughs> and I, I don't, like, I don't butt in and go, excuse me, George, I think you mean great heavens. You're saying lemons. It's not, it's heavens. Thank you. You know, cause it's just, it's this beautiful process of of, of learning a language and being able to speak and kind of, um, again, that, that exercise of your free will and your intellect. So, um, so what I do, that's what I think about is sort of in the classroom, how can I tackle the onslaught of technology and sort of put students at ease, um, about, about the fact that, you know, they don't have to keep a pace of that, especially in a class with me where I, my favorite, you know, it's like, The pioneer days in my class we read all kinds of old stuff we don't use computers um that's how i like it so yeah yeah
0: um okay so i'm thinking then about 21st century students uh are experiencing like they're experiencing anxiety at higher rates and you know just kind of statistically speaking more acutely Um, And so the fear of failure is more pronounced and the paralysis that issues from that is just more dread um, or dreader, regardless, comparative adjective dread. Um, And as a result of which, like they need more in the way of encouragement or consolation to come out into this space in which they can share or which they can vet their ideas. Um, And then you have, you know, kind of like technological advances whereby your experience of the Internet is very... Perfect or or like you know lacking for nothing proper to what you know you're you're researching, um and then even like people's images are very curated, like Ugh just woke up, looks so bad, you know after thirty seven minutes of makeup and a very staged picture um, mm-hmm. I do it all so <laughs> me, me too, um yeah, after I've spent thirty seven minutes trimming my beard um, and uh so so I guess like you know like welcoming students into this space. Without being condescending, like without being patronizing, you know, like, but but I suspect that it it has to like recognize and reverence this progress in the truth or this kind of journey to the truth while picking out truths like even if partial or limited along the way. Um, yeah, maybe like, yeah, I don't know. I, I I'm just not. I've just started teaching, and I'm not a really good teacher to be honest. Um, Because I'm just in the kind of data download, produce content, people can listen to it at two times speed. And who cares, you know, because you just cast it into a digital digital space type mindset. So I don't yet have like the solicitude of the care, the concern for my students, which will ultimately generate them. Uh, But I think that's possible. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I mean, like, yeah, based on your experience, what are ways in which you can facilitate that? I mean, you know, like with these old techs, with these great masters, without, you know, easy access to technology, but in the setting of in the setting of a classroom. I'm looking for ways of just just being better.
1: Like ways to facilitate an encounter with old text or old ideas and and sort of help the students realize they they can actually read this even though it's hard, that that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, that's yeah, that's part. I mean like what I want for them is to know and to love God. Um
1: yeah. and i
0: know that there are a bunch of intermediate steps and that these methods or that these these texts these conversations are the types of things which have proven themselves worthy in the past but i don't always know how to yeah you know, like introduce them into those conversations to welcome them into that space um yeah. yeah yeah
1: i know what you mean i know what you mean um i mean i don't know if the thing that i'm thinking of right now is uh, is this professor at boston college named fred lawrence i don't know if you know and he does Lonergan. I had a class with him once, and, uh, and it was a really tough class. And I came in once, like 15 minutes late, terrible mood. And he looks at me, and he goes, oh, great, you're here. And he hands me this enormous packet, uh, which I looked at, and it was an Advent calendar. And he had spent the first 10 minutes of class just uh, taking the students through this Advent calendar that he really liked. And we're getting into the season of Advent, and he wanted us to know about it. Uh, and I never have, uh, forgotten that. And it's totally changed the way I treat students that come in late to class because, uh, it, it made my day and it, it made me feel like a part of what was going on. Um, and one of the things that Fred used to say was, you're loved into it. Whatever it is that, you know, your, your, your approach to the truth or your, your approach to God, you're loved into it. And so I try to think, yes, the classroom is a place where, you know, understanding has to happen where truth is sought but also it's a place where um students need to um, be validated that you know their particular uh the sort of their particular soul like their particular intellect the things that they're grappling with these things are important too so um so i don't know what that looks like in the classroom for me is a lot of asking what they think um to start with and then uh and trying to get their language and then incorporating that into the discussion of the texts, the older texts. Um, And a lot of times too, it's um, what we do is we just read a paragraph or a stanza of something. And I say, okay, you know, scale of one to 10, what was that like for you? One being, I don't understand this at all. 10 being, I could write a dissertation on this. And then we say, let's identify a few things we don't know or a few things that we have questions about. And we start with the questions and we normalize asking the questions. And typically they're amazing questions. I mean, you know, when we read the Genesis uh, story and we read about the fall, right. Um, in Genesis chapter three, I had a girl the other day who said, um, Hey, wait a second. The serpent talked to Eve about the fruit, but God told Adam about the fruit. What's that about? And that's, that's perfect. You know, that, that's a perfect observation, um, because it allows us to get into, uh, like, s- Satan's disruption of the order of God's creation, right? And, um, but we got to do it in her language. And this woman, like, I don't know, she she she's getting her, her BA, and uh, for her part-time job, she cleans up ORs in a local hospital, um, you know, at, she's not going to major in religious studies, but but she has those intuitions because there's a natural desire in her for the truth. So, uh, so that's, I don't know if that's helpful. That's just kind of how I proceed. That's a lot of like pedagogy. Um, but, uh, but I guess that's what I think about a lot. Cause I teach a lot.
0: Okay. So I want to follow up on another aspect or another dimension of this. I'm thinking specifically about how, technological innovation changes human community uh, or the way in which human community is itself either impoverished or enriched. So, you know, the pandemic, a lot of people had access to FaceTime, whereas 15 years previously they wouldn't. And so they felt closer to their friends and families, whereas they they might not have been able to be close to them. But then you could ask the opposite question. Were we content to um, isolate in the way that we did in part because we felt we had you know, the the type of access to community, which truth be told, wasn't actually serving the human, you know, so there's, there's these debates that you can host. And I'm thinking here about technology, because, you know, uh, I guess some scholars will observe that we as human beings in relationships do much in the way of like information offloading uh, in the setting of a relationship. So you know if i'm married to this person and she knows these things i know that i don't need to remember them so then when we go to a christmas party once a year i'm like i'm never going to remember these people's names because i know that my wife will prompt me and everything is awesome jesus you are lord um but but when we get in the habit of relying upon our phones to look stuff up you know in the midst of conversation or chat gpt to do all of the number crunching or the processing then we're not in those same types of relationships or we're not in the same type of like network of dependencies So can you think, I don't know, again, you know, in your classroom experience or in the research that you've done about, about ChatGPT and beyond, um, like ways in which we can retain this human communal dimension of inquiry, um, of of conversation, of kind of corporate conversion. Um, Yeah, like what are ways in which we can be sensitive to that or to be good practitioners of it?
1: Yeah. That's a great question. And I definitely see, you know, with this technology, it's like a huge wave that's coming. You, you sort of want to resist it, but you know that you can't and that, that it seems so convenient for some. And, um, and, you know, even the way I've used my phone has changed in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, looking stuff up, right? It's, it's exactly like that. I, um, I was, uh, I was cracking up because when I was doing this talk, I, I came across this quote from the Phaedrus. Um, and I have to credit Joshua Heschel for this because he had mentioned it in one of his T.I. talks. But where, it's where Plato's like, oh, man, if people learn to write, civilization is going down the drain. You know, and he, was, he hates the idea um, of people learning to write. I think it's a little odd that this came to us through writing, and I kind of want to think about that. But, but you know, it's, it's this idea that when you, when you change the uh, techne, if I can use that word, there, when, you, when you change the, the thing you're doing, it changes the way you think. And it does change the way you relate to people. Um, during the pandemic, I, I got to go to a lot of conferences on Zoom, a lot of academic things. And it was awesome because I'm an introvert. And so uh, I could fidget and, uh, you know, I could ask questions and I was a lot more confident. And I got to shut that all off when I wanted to and just do sort of more thoughtful work, work away from all the distractions uh, of technology. It's not the same though for everybody, right? Some people were just craving that interaction. And uh you know, what I love about um sort of my colleagues here at, at the school where I teach is that we do have all these different uh areas of expertise, and so we learn from one another and um you know, I have, I have a colleague who always is coming in talking about Kant and utilitarianism. Um and uh most days it's okay to do that. Um but uh but also maybe what we need to do is Intentionally slow down and, um, and say, you know, I could Google that and figure out what the answer is, but I don't know. Like, I don't know when the Council of Ferrara Florence was, but I can still kind of think about it and talk about it. And, oh, it's created this question. And so later I can go back and look for the answer and maybe it'll stick with me a little more. Um, Uh, it's a challenge with my kids too because i want to google everything for them my son right now is like mom what's the fastest thing in the world and i'm like "Okay, what do you mean you mean like a land you know land animal or can it be an air and you know he gives me some well okay i think it's probably you know one of the sonic jets but i don't know i could google it but but i have i don't know i I don't want to because it's almost like it, it it makes the process of inquiry less cool um you know, mom, what's the hottest thing there is? Well, I think it's a white dwarf star. And I'm like second guessing myself. Um, and I, I do actually have to look that up and tell him what it is because I don't know. But, um, but I don't know. Maybe the, maybe the process of formulating the questions and sitting in the uncertainty is, is something people do together that's good. Uh, you know, like you, you were talking earlier about this is sort of a journey of knowing the truth. And we're, we're in statu VA, right? So um, we have to live into that we can't pretend we're done because we're not done. We're still figuring out the truth um, and learning to contemplate the truth.
0: Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like, um, so thinking about it, what does it mean to be a wayfarer, right? So it's to be Mm -hmm. on pilgrimage and a pilgrimage has a destination and the destination characterizes your experience of the whole journey uh, because, you know, an aimless pilgrimage is a poor pilgrimage indeed. Um, So on the one hand, You know, you don't want to relativize the experience and say, like, you know, the destination doesn't matter. It's all about the journey because (laughs) because that's not true. And you can die of exposure in the midst of savage mountains and be lost to your loved ones. Um, But 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 on the other hand, the point isn't just to arrive at the destination. You know, like, I, I don't think the people who start the Camino from their homes in Switzerland regret it when they come to discover that you get the little certificate provided that you depart at least from Saria, you know, a hundred kilometers away. It's just like, you fool, you spent 3,200 kilometers when you could have spent 100. They're like, yeah, yeah, that's not the point. And I think that like virtue does afford us um, a beautiful way by which to enter into that mystery because you want to, you don't, Yeah, you don't just want to arrive, you want to heal and grow on the way such that you become worthy of the destination, such that when you enter into the sanctuary, you're made competent to worship because you're meant to offer your life. You know, like it's not just a matter of offering your discrete knowledge of this fact or your discrete acquisition of this good. You know, it's like Mm -hmm. I want to give you everything, but that means, uh, you know, I'm a human being and to give you everything means to give you everything in time and space over the course of however long you permit me to live. Um. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: and that there's nothing sort of there's no particular aspect of human life that is is worthless in light of this greater goal, as long as it's sort of ordered toward that goal. Um, I don't know. I'm thinking of one of my favorite things. So I study the Catena Aurea, and there's this uh, part where Jesus, you know, in the Gospels cures a blind man by spitting in the ground, and um, one of the Greek fathers. In the guy named Theophylact, he says, "Well, why did he spit? You know, and it's this is question like, if Jesus could have just healed the blind man by touching him, you know, why did he, why did he spit?" Um, and I especially love this story because this is the same question my four-year-old asked me when I read this children's book about this story. He goes, "Why did he spit?" And at the time, we were working on not spitting, so maybe that was part of it. But, um, but what Theophilact says is. Uh, you know, because even the most superfluous moisture of Christ's body is divine. It was like, wow. You know, you think, okay, fully God, fully human. Yeah, I get it. And then you think about the spit. You're like, wow, the word spit. And so it just makes, it kind of makes everything that you do able to be taken up into that, into that mystery, into that journey um, and sort of offered to God. Um, so. Uh I can't remember why we started talking about that. Sorry. But I but That's no, it's, yeah, you don't want to die in the, alone in the mountains. That's right. Um you want to you want to on ev- in every part of the journey um you want to be have the the end in mind. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, have you done the Camino? and and I mean like Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
1: No, have you done the Camino? I was wondering.
0: I've done part of it. Yeah, have you?
1: Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, we left from uh saint jean pierre de port so okay. the border of France and I did meet people who like walked out of their house and onto the path in Belgium and it was cool
0: yeah no I um we left from Astorga which is um 170 miles to the to the east um so I guess like a third of the distance from which you would have traveled um but I went with zero expectations. It was kind of like, a I have to do this thing and that thing and the other thing and then walk the Camino and then get back up here and then go to the, you know, so like I wasn't thinking about it. I wasn't recollected, but I was bowled over by it Um, in part because the experience is encompassing. It's like when you're on the Camino, you're you're just on the Camino. You're not keeping up with your emails. You're not remaining in touch. You know, you're not able to plug away at this little side project. You're just... (laughs) It's like you're just on the Camino. Um, and there was something about that for me that was so, yeah, healing and growing. Because I think that one of the effects of technology in my life is that it permits me to be more compartmentalized and, in fact, more divided. Um, so there was something about, like, receiving my humanity back whole over the course of 12 days as my feet gradually disintegrated in kind of, like, pulpy, blisterous messes. Um, that that was great. That was It was just focused. um. And abandoned, I mean, for lack of a better word, abandoned, like, here we are, this is what we're doing. And as a result of which, I felt like I was, ab- I was able to, like, meet people, uh, encounter people more profoundly, some of whom I'm still in contact with, It's just like random people in random places.
1: Totally. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's, that, that was my experience, too. Just, And I think I was coming out of um, undergrad and a graduate program. Uh, and the graduate program was a service program. So I was, was teaching and then also getting an MED. And all of a sudden I was just on the Camino. And I, I didn't have to do anything else. Um, and it was, it, I like how you put that, you know, just the restoration of your humanity, um, even as your feet disintegrate. So the, you know, the, like, um, what do I want to say? Um, hang on a little Sorry, I lost my train of thought. But it was important. Hang yeah. on.
0: You don't have to apologize.
1: Um, okay. Um, yeah. Well, I was used to um, having come out of this, out of these, you know, academic programs, and then doing teaching and being kind of like a young single high school teacher who like chaperoned all the dances and coached all the cross country team, you know, stuff. And um, I was used to just totally punishing my body. Like, my body doesn't matter. I'm just gonna like fill it with caffeine. Get out there. To produce a lot of content for the students, for my, you know, programs. And th- I, I wasn't necessarily totally related to technology, but technology definitely facilitated that, right? All the emails, you know, all the online learning platforms. And then when I was out on the Camino, I couldn't do any of that stuff. And I had to do things like wash my shirt, you know, and, and um, you know, stretch and think about what I wanted to eat. Because if I ate badly, I would really feel it the next day. And it was just this total return to all of these very practical, uh, things. Um, but I, I, I very much experienced sort of the love of God in, in that because of, um, because of how much it, it was sort of a validation of being created with a mind and a body, uh, which, uh, you know, you kind of forget. I, I, and I think that's maybe the source of the anxiety for some students we we're talking about earlier, right? It's like they don't, it's like we, we're not very good at living in, As a embodied, I don't know how to say it. We're not very good at living as a as a person with a mind and a body. It's like we're kind of I don't know. As an embodied soul,
0: or as an ensouled body.
1: Yeah, yeah. Hylomorphism.
0: Boom. (laughs) Yeah, I um the last day of walking, I was on the verge of tears for the entirety of it, and um you know which like sometimes happen. You know, I have I have grandparents and great grandparents who were you know like italian so i feel things and i gesticulate wildly um but but it like kind of snuck up on me where i didn't realize that the experience had been working at some change or some effect in my life until i was conscious that it was present and didn't know how to name it <laughs> and i was like whoa <laughs> which is great yeah which is super beautiful um so yeah no, I am grateful yeah, for it.
1: I, mean, I think I think that's a perfect example of a time when you know somebody asked you to write a paper on that, right, or give or give a talk on that experience, and you're like, "How do I say this?" Maybe ChatGPT can articulate, you know, this experience for me, right? ChatGPT, imagine you're a pilgrim with Italian ancestors walking into the <laughs> you know the square of Santiago de Compostela. What would you say? And like, no, that totally misses the point, right? I'm looking at the I'm looking at the commentary on John here, right? And and Aquinas is like, human speech is messy. And, you know, we have to say things, we have to proceed through many kinds of words to get at what we're, what we're, we're, the concept that we're forming or what what the thing we're thinking are interior words. But that's the whole point. I mean, that's that's the dignity of the human person is to have an experience and say, I don't really know exactly how to describe this, but I'm going to try,
0: right? it's worth trying to, uh, and yeah. I love trying to, yeah. Yeah, I was recently reading Eugene Boylan, um, who's a 20th century Cistercian, I mean, Trappist, uh, those are both true. Um, and he wrote a handful of commentaries on the spiritual life. And in one, he makes the observation, we talk about mental prayer, we talk about meditation, good, good, good. But recognize the fact that there are three dimensions to it and they shouldn't be collapsed. One is spiritual reading, uh, one is reflection, and then one is what one might call mental prayer or like a kind of contemplative disposition whereby one, you know, formulates these affections and is in kind of like living, grappling, almost tension with God. And he says a lot of people just tend to drop out the reflection piece. And I think maybe this is a good note on which to conclude. Um, yeah, it's like it's like worth thinking about things, even if you're not in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament, even if you can't call it mental prayer, um, even if it doesn't seem to serve another purpose in your life. Like I was I was reading Boylan and I was I was actually on retreat in June. And so I just took time to write some bad poetry because, you know, it's bad poetry. I don't think it needs a further justification than it's bad. I mean, it's bad poetry. Um because like you need that. You know, like your your mind needs to be able to expand to that possibility at the very least, and that reality, perhaps more more simply stated. Um, so yeah, I don't know, maybe maybe your thoughts on, yeah, uh, thought, speech, expression, any concluding thoughts that you want to say apropos of, yeah, our human culture and our human vocation?
1: Sure. Well, I mean, as I was preparing the talk for Brown, one of the things I came across was an icon of Christ uh, reading from Isaiah in the temple. And that sort of brought home the whole point I wanted to make about uh, sort of the human endeavor to search for and talk about the truth in the life of faith, because we have as our model and our, our exemplar, you know, a God who, though being perfect word, right, um, from eternity, became flesh, walked into a, a place of worship, opened up a book that that he inspired as word, and read the words that another dude wrote based on, his inspiration of him. I mean, what kind of God does that, right? Like, Oh, I wouldn't have exactly said it that way. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, you know, but, but this is the humility of God. Um, And so this kind of, for me, this is a very important message that sort of um, our discussion uh, our, our the human desire to sort of pursue the truth and talk about the truth and share the truth with others in community as you've been talking about, is all an opportunity to participate in the mystery of the incarnation. It's kind of like, you know, St. Paul calls it a foolishness of preaching or foolishness of speech, um, where perhaps it would have been more efficient to go about it another way. It would have been quicker to obtain the truth through another way. But the way we have before us is, is, is the Word made flesh, who is way and who's inviting us into that, into the mystery of sort of following him in, in how it is that he chose to, to save us which is through a kind of foolishness of speech. Uh, I, that's, that's what I'd say is the, kind of the big takeaway for me. Um, and the, the thing that I try to remember as I write terrible, terrible things, and then as I you know teach as well, I try to encourage students to, um, to, to use their own words and think about things, be confident about speaking about things that they may be unfamiliar with. So, yeah.
0: Amen. Yeah, that's, it's an encouragement and a consolation for me. I think sometimes, um, we hold ourselves to an A plus standard in all, f- in all dimensions of human life. When truth be told, I think, you know, like most of us kind of deliver in a, a B plus kind of maybe A minus type way for the most part. And there are going to be days in which we deliver a B or a B minus or a C plus or something catastrophic. I mean, that happens too. And there are going to be rare moments when we deliver the A, A plus content. And I think that that that's it's better this way because it reminds us of the gratuity of the whole dispensation uh, like what do you have that you have not received if therefore you have received it why do you boast as if it were your own you know so there's the sense yeah. in which you know for the their pagans are, are visited by the muse and we by the word incarnate and so yeah to cultivate a certain disposition of welcome um of yeah almost hospitality sounds silly and blah 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 but yeah a contemplative disposition vis-a-vis the word such that we can hear his speech and yeah, ponder it, like Our Lady. It's not exactly. a bad life. Exactly. I was thinking that earlier. She she
1: pondered all these she kept these things in her heart and she pondered them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, um, let's see. Resources that you that you might recommend to the individual um yeah, interested in these types of things, the Catena or the Catena Aurea of St. Thomas Aquinas for, for all things patristic, um, and sifted by Saint Thomas himself, but other other any other recommendations that you, you might make pursuant to the conversation?
1: Yeah, in terms of chat and thinking about the way technology works versus the way the human brain works, I think there's a few TI talks that are really good on this that I'd recommend. Um, one is Jonathan Botacci's talk, Why Would a Biologist Believe in the Soul? Um, and then the another is um, Joshua Hochschild has a talk. I think it's called, What Is My, F- My Phone Doing to Me? Um, but in that talk, he has a, a lot of great stuff about sort of technology, and he goes into AI as well. Um, and Yulia Klima, if I'm pronouncing that correctly, um, has also given a relevant talk with TI. But um, but you know, the question I think sometimes when we talk about uh, AI and and human production and human speech, the question comes down to: Do we have souls or not? And are we completely determined by material processes or not? And and those um, those TI talks I just mentioned are are really good for that. Um, and then um well i i just always plug reading aquinas himself right uh the joanine prologue is is really meaty um if you were a student at the university of paris it would have taken you 11 days to get through it um but but just to read that um and kind of see what aquinas is doing with this idea of, of word um and uh yeah Yeah. And I love the Katana Rea. Everyone should read the Katana Rea. It's, it's, it's beautiful. It's good for meditation. It's good for, um, for, um, like trying to get through the day, the, the Sunday gospel reading, what's happening. Um, it's good for study. So.
0: Boom. And one of the versions that we have translated in English was translated by John Henry Newman. So. That's right. You get a saint through a saint, which is not a bad way to live. That's right,
1: 1841, <laughs> yeah. And then you've got Martin Merard has this amazing site, if people know Latin, you know, where he's looking up all the sources for these texts. We can, we can see where they came from. So as Thomas assembles these different uh, fathers and their commentary, Martin Merard is going like, oh yeah, that's from, you know, Gregory of Nyssa's homily from, you know, Transfiguration of Our Lord, et cetera, et cetera.
0: Cool. Dig. All right. Well, thanks so much for making the time, for taking the time, uh, for giving your time. Um, And yeah, maybe we can follow up on the conversation once our entire civilization has been overtaken by robots. Um, Just kidding. Sounds
1: good. No, that'll be good. That'll be good. If they let us do it, we 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 can do it. (laughs)
0: all right so you know presuming the permission of said robots we'll we'll look forward to chatting with you again um yeah turning to you the listener thanks so much for tuning into this episode of the Tomistic institute podcast uh off-campus conversations and yeah look forward to chatting with you at intervals it seems like two weeks is is the interval so at two-week intervals so no of our prayers for you please pray for us and we'll look forward to chatting with you next time on the Tomistic institute podcast